This podcast is brought to you by Labyrinth Marketing, an award-winning strategic marketing and capability consultancy passionate about step change in the growth of brands and agencies by setting long-term strategy and supporting empowering the people behind the brands and business to bring these plans to life through capability programs, training, coaching, mentoring, and providing extra resource. Hello, and welcome to the Whole Marketer Podcast. Today's second episode continues on the theme of burnout. We'll be discussing our guests' personal experience of burnout, what they have learned, and what they now put in replace as a result of having experienced it. And today's guest is Kirsten Halley. She is a passionate brand marketer who loves to book a trend, with a career starting in a range of small businesses and gaining her first board position at 24. She is passionate about leading brands to make a positive difference in the world. With the last 10 years been spent working in the food industry and in particular focusing on healthier brands, Kirsten key highlights have been leading the turnaround of the Rivita brand from five years of double-digit declines for strong profitable growth and going on to be named by Mintel as a UK's number one healthy food brand in both 2019 and 2020. Moving to Samworth Brothers, In 2021, Kirsten was tasked with helping the group bring more branded focus into the business and to move into new category of plant-based foods. As part of this, Kirsten and her team have recently launched new challenger brand, The Flavorists, helping take plant-based food beyond basic staples for vegetarians and vegans by recreating a range of dishes that can help anyone cook more creatively with plants. Kirsten is also a Marketing Academy Scholar from 2016 and loves to support young talent coming into the industry through her mentoring work. Kirsten, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So as always with the podcast, we always start with the big juicy question up front. And today's big juicy question is, what is burnout to you? So I thought I'd better look up and see what the official definition was. And actually, it's it's pretty similar to what my own personal definition would have been. And I think the official definition goes something along the lines of it's a period of kind of extreme exhaustion or depletion after either a period of chronic stress or real extreme stress and exertion. But what burnout is to me is, I agree with that fully. I think that's entirely a a very sensible description of it. But the way that I've described it to people in the past is just when your body says no and actually that just everything stops for a while and that it's completely involuntary about what you can or can't do anymore, no matter how much you think you might want to mentally kind of push through that. I think that to me is what makes it such a sort of an important topic because actually it's it's pretty cataclysmic, I think, when it happens mm. for most people. And having just spoken to other people who've been in, in similar positions, I think that's my description that I go with of just when you've been in either a period of too much stress for too long or when the whole world's come down on people. I know that that's happened for people as well, but there might have been a whole load of life factors all gotten very stressful at once. But actually from however you found yourself there, it's actually a time when your body just says no more and starts shutting down on you and quite literally shutting down, I think, in some cases. I think that's a really good description. And I love how you said when your body just says no. Literally, I remember like when the moment for me when it kind of really kicked in that this was what was happening 
there was two things started happening. I was in a previous role in previous life. This was about seven or eight years ago. And it was very late at night. It was about half seven, eight o'clock. I was still in the office, long day. And I remember staring at a spreadsheet and it was a spreadsheet with lots of numbers on. And I was just looking at it and, you know, I wear glasses. So I was saying, are my glasses a bit smudgy? No, it's not that. And, and I just couldn't see the numbers on the spreadsheet. I couldn't see them. And I remember looking and staring and putting my nose sort of inches from the screen and still not being able to see or read the numbers on the spreadsheet. It was just this kind of smudgy thing and being absolutely terrified. And then going to kind of pick up a pen to do something with. And I remember my hand just sort of looking at my hand as well. And it, if I went to kind of clench and unclench my fingers, it just wasn't responding in time. There was like a lag on it in terms of like literally how quickly I could move my hand because my body was just starting to just literally say no and was starting to shut down on kind of peripheral functions. And to anybody who's been there, I know how terrifying that is. And yeah, I think it's why it's it's a really good topic to be talking about. And for those that have experienced burnout, we'll all have our moment of when we realised we were burning out. So like you sitting there, physically not being able to see, physically having a delay and lag. I think for me personally, I felt like this wave was happening from almost like my feet going up my body. And it was almost just this sense of, interestingly, you said the word no. It was like, no more. And I remember lying in my bed and thinking... I am not getting out of bed tomorrow. This is a no. And I stayed in that bed, I think, sleeping on and off for a few days before I kind of woke up and went, I think I've burnt out. I think this is what everyone talks about. It's actually happened. And it wasn't a case of a few days and then I got up again. It was a case of a few days and then I went to start getting help. And it ended up being, you know, more like, weeks before I kind of felt like I could get my energy back up and start to think about you know returning to work so it's interesting it's that almost like your body just goes that's enough now now you need yeah and and it's not a choice that was you know that was the real thing I until that point I'd always prided myself on being invincible and I could handle anything and as you say that from that night in the office going home I did the same thing I crawled straight into bed and I don't think I got back out of it for three four days you know from just a sort of flux of sleeping on and off and things but it absolutely wasn't an option and that was you know it's quite unbelievable that when you especially when you pride yourself on being somebody who's mentally tough and that had always been a big what I thought big defining part of my characteristics till then to have to suddenly have that taken away from you it it comes as quite a big shock I think I think it's probably what led you to burn out which is that viewpoint of I am mentally tough and therefore people viewing you as mentally tough and maybe loading your plate a lot more than other people's plates and you may be feeling that you can't stop and that you can't take those moments to rest and restore because you are tough and you must keep going and to the point that you can't go anymore exactly that is definitely 100% my story and it's still a tendency that I've got now I've learned and I'm smarter and I'm wiser but there's still a default setting there now that I have to actively override you know from time to time having learned how bad it is to be in the burnout place but you know I think, as you say, and I think as marketers in particular, there's probably a lot of people who find themselves in that position, you know, because marketers really can be the central hub of 
teams. They can be the people who pick up and interact with lots of different people or lots of different departments. I don't know any marketer whose to-do list isn't as long as their arm, if not, you know, trailing on the floor three feet behind them. <laughs> um, and it tends to be a facet of our of our industry, of our game. And because also we are part of an ideas economy, you know, we're only as good as our last five minutes, really. You know, we, we tend not to make too much that is tangible. We don't build buildings in the main. We don't, you know, save lives in a hospital. So actually, you know, how smart, sharp on it you are feeling tends to be a big part of your job. And I think it's very easy if you have that sort of personality that just pushes on to just to keep pushing till the, either the break-in point or whether, you know, somebody might, if you're lucky, intervene. I think it's probably a lot more common than we think. I think it's a lot more common than we think. And I think people maybe listening to this and the series of podcasts will probably go, oh, that's what happened to me. It was burnout. Although as we were talking before the podcast, you know, you know when yes, it's happening you to you. This isn't, this isn't, I'm just overtired and I need a weekend. This is more than just that. But you're right. You know, we do work in a challenging yet rewarding profession, as I say, and we are the person that constantly the organization goes to which is you know where we want to be as a profession exactly but with that comes a level of pressure and expectation to have all of the answers and as you say it's very rare that we get to see a tangible result in the short term you know we're always building to something that's coming in the long term and so you know, that sense of achievement doesn't come every day. And that is something in most professions that someone will get at the end of day. I achieved this, or I accomplished this, or I saw this happen. And we don't get that every day. That comes in chunks of time. Absolutely true. And something that I speak to my teams about, and I've spoken to my teams about a lot is, as brand marketeers, our jobs are never done. So how do you know when to stop at the end of the day and how do you know what a good day looks like? You know, in our world, you could always finesse the piece of packaging a little bit more. You could always sweat the PowerPoint deck and the graphics on there a bit harder. You could always run another line of analysis. You could always rehearse your presentation one more time. You know, there's there's no point where somebody comes and says, congratulations, you've hit the point of optimum marketeer and now stop. <laughs> I wish there was, but there isn't. And that in itself is a real skill to go, how do I know I've done enough? And actually, because, and I've seen it time and time again, people who just keep pushing and pushing. And, you know, I think, as you said, as part of the series, you're going to be speaking to people at all different levels. And I think that's really important because the pressures on somebody who's more junior or in the formative stages of their marketing career will feel pressures and have to show willing aptitudes effort and enthusiasm in a different way to somebody who's maybe you know a very senior role might be where they feel that they need to you know to be pressured to be you know leading in teams and, and doing things in slightly different ways but we all still share that thing of none of our jobs are ever done we don't hit complete very often so actually starting to build the skill as a marketeer of how do I know when I've done enough how do I know when I've done what's good? Like, or how do I know when actually, do you know what, I'm not going to get to the point I wanted to get to, but I have to call it anyway because actually managing my energy right now is more important than getting to the next line or the next goal. And, you know, do I have an environment and a people around me where I can have those conversations is something I think we really need to be cultivating in the, in the marketing industry and within the community 
you know, as a whole. I agree. And I think that's a lesson for everyone's takeaway is, you know, how do you acknowledge when you have done enough and how do you reward or celebrate the success in that moment for yourself so that you're not waiting on that externally to happen from others or maybe when it reaches the marketplace so that we get that level of reward that we deserve. Exactly. So having had that experience of burnout and then having the time to reflect on it, what do you think led to that moment? I think it was this tendency to think that I was bulletproof and that, in all honesty, in life till that point, I had pretty much been. This specific workplace situation was working in a brand team at a time where you know, business had restructured a bit. There was big gaps above me in the chain. And for a while, for a period of about six months, there was only two of us in a brand team that should have been about eight people. Some due to some, you know, people leaving, some due to, you know, just the reshuffle and waiting to hire. And it was a really important time on the brand. And also because of some gaps in the chain above me, I was reporting directly into the CEO of the business at the time, which was a really great opportunity. I was well established within the business. People trusted me. I loved what I was doing. Absolutely loved what I was doing. Loved the brand I worked on. Loved the person the only other person in the team who I was working with at the time we got on like a house on fire and I just felt this opportunity when I was reporting straight into the CEO was right Keston this is how you show that you're you know the next big leader this is how you do this you show that you can handle all these vacancies and you show that you can report you know direct into the CEO and do a good job of it and I see was an absolutely amazing man but of course you know you, you wouldn't have had time to have done all the pastoral care of all the check-ins and things that you might have had with a different manager mm. at the time and so I was just hell-bent on proving a point really and to the point whereby you know we were for a while doing the work of at least six or seven people with just two of us and doing it to really high standard whilst that's working it can feel great and it can become a bit of a drug especially if you're getting feedback of, oh, isn't isn't she doing a great job? Look at everything she's doing. Isn't she covering everything well? That can become a bit of a drug in itself, a dangerous drug with great intent. I think, you know, people wanting to praise you, but actually what they might be doing is creating the ecosystem around burnout. And I think, you know, looking at that, but I also have to acknowledge that there were other life factors at that same time you know so spirit of full transparency you know I was in a sort of kind of relationship breakdown at the point of a long-term relationship whereby it was you know being done amicably but there was huge stress around you know separating out finances and anybody that's mm. ever split, them, split themselves out of a mortgage will know how stressful that is just the what are you going to do and you know working through friendships and you know all sorts of things and I think it all just culminated at once you know and that's something that in the direct period since and every following after actually I'm very very watchful for of you know bad stuff can happen in life and none of us can protect against that but the controllables that you do have trying to make sure that life work other stuff family whatever spikes you may have don't all spike at the same time because I think that and having spoken to a lot of other people about their burnout journey and and teams that I've led more often than not sometimes it is just work but more often than not, there's usually another factor as well, somewhere. And, you know, not always within people's gift to control, but sometimes it is. And I think that's a big reflection point as well, of just going, I got myself into a point from both a personal and work life where I thought I was bulletproof. I took on way too much. I was almost thriving on the slightly, you know, not helpful feedback of being Wonder Woman until I wasn't. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think when we are getting positive affirmation for the work that we are doing, being Wonder Woman, it just becomes this fulfilling cycle of, well, I'll keep going because then I get more praise and and then I'll work a bit harder and I'll make more praise. And you've already had, as you were describing, that personal pressure you'd put on yourself to take this as an opportunity to prove yourself. You had increased workload and then a piece of uncertainty in your personal life in addition to that and the uncertainty of the restructure all of those things combined, you know, when you sit here subjectively on a white piece of paper, you go, well, I'm not surprised that you burnt out. But when you're in the here and now, it's really hard to acknowledge that that might be ahead of you. Exactly. And you're only really dealing with the step that's right in front of you at any given time, I think. I'm a huge believer in silver linings. And if there is one silver learning from the soul burnout experience, it is that perspective that it gives you that sometimes, hang on here, Kirsten, you might just need to think three, four steps ahead of the game here because is this really on a trajectory that you want it to be on? You know, and I could talk a lot about that. We've literally just three weeks into a new brand launch at the moment. You know, something I've been working on. For, yeah, exactly. Very exciting. Launched in, you know, the Flavorous launch in Waitrose three weeks ago after, you know, 14 months of work to get it there. And it would have been easy to have just kept going. And to any of you out there who are doing a startup entrepreneur journey, massive respect because that's feeding off. Are you doing enough? Are you hustling hard enough? Are you, you know, do you want it enough? There's a really unhelpful narrative in the startup world around that. Do you want this badly enough? Are you willing to do what it takes? That there are some positive elements of, but I think can also help feed people getting into that step as well, where actually, as you say, if you were to take a step back and draw this out on paper, you would probably see you might be in a slightly unhealthy place. And actually, just what would have to be true for you to get into a much better place and coming back, linking back to that idea that we all trade in the ideas economy. If you're in that better place, how much of a better job are you likely to actually be doing rather than just, you know, flogging yourself to a point where, you know, you're struggling to put one foot in front of the other? It's so true. And I do remember after my burnout saying to a good friend of mine who always has a lot of things on her plate and I use the plate analogy quite a lot because and I'll come back to that in a second and we're saying to her I was like how did you never burn out all these things that happened to you and she said to me having burnt out historically I've just got much better at realizing when the proverbial is about to hit the fan yes and I think that for me is was one of the lessons that I learned post burnout was understanding the things that are you know, a trigger to me or understanding that analogy of, right, if I have one plate and there are things already on it that are outside of my control. So to your point, things happening in my personal life, someone with a long standing terminal illness and, you know, other things that are happening in my family life, that plate is already really full before I've gone to work, (laughs) before I've seen a friend, before I've added anything else that I've put my hand up for. And, you know, many people's plates will already have two things on it, potentially any given time that are outside of their control. But what is in your control is deciding what else you put your hand up for or what else to avoid or where you set those boundaries because you know how much space or at least acknowledge how much space you potentially have on that plate till it gets to the point that you can no longer eat what's on it. Exactly. And and I just couldn't agree more with that. As you say, life throws you curveballs sometimes and you know none of us can avoid uh, I actually had a friend with very severe long-term illness at the same time when all this was going on as you say things that you can't choose to operate around it's so difficult because until somebody's been there I know if somebody had said this to me eight or nine years ago 
I would have said, yeah, I recognize that, but I'll, I'll still be all right. I'll be all right. And I would have kept pushing on. And it's that, you know, if there's one thing that somebody's listening to this that could take out of our conversation, it would be like, please just listen to that little nagging voice of doubt that says maybe you need a rest because, you know, it's there for a reason and that's your body trying to tell you and it will start to tell you in no uncertain terms if you don't listen. And as you say, you know, there's useful tools you can do, some things like life audit stuff and things. These things exist online. Wheel of Life, I think it's called in some yeah, areas as well. Wheel of life. Just, yeah, yeah, the Wheel of Life stuff where you can just, you know, score some of the different areas of your life and go, where do I need to push right now? And actually, where do I just need to maybe coast a little bit? And, you know, just go if that's maybe some friends who you would normally see very regularly, who you might just say, you know what, guys, I'm, you know, I am up to my eyeballs with everything else. You know, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit off radar and I'm just signposting this so that, you know, it's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't value our company. And I know it would probably actually be really helpful. But right now I've just got so many balls that I'm juggling. This might be the thing that goes or having a conversation at work, you know, with your manager and going, whether there's a change to hours or whether it's just a practical conversation about what's going on so that they're aware, you know, I think is in that moment, in those months preceding that burnout episode, that was something that I just never, ever did. I can't blame my work because I never told them and I never let a single thing on. Mm. (laughs) So I think people are very quick to blame work, you know, in these places. But actually, in my instance, in that case, and there will be time when people are in toxic workplaces and horrible things like that, it was entirely self-generated. There was a workplace challenge, but I chose to put myself, you know, under the bus of it. I didn't at any point flag to anybody that there might have been an issue or that actually I needed a little bit of help. So, you know, you can't point fingers actually at the company either because, you know, they just saw me thriving off the feedback. And I think there is an element of, you know, you can't blame the company, but also at the same time, I do think for a long time, it's been quite taboo and I don't think people have felt comfortable enough maybe in some situations to be able to say, I think I'm on the cusp of burnout or whichever other terminology you think is relevant for where you are on your journey with kind of extreme tiredness or overworkness because not everyone's going to get to that place of burnout. They might just be feeling really overwhelmed or very stressed or maybe potentially anxious about things that are afoot. But I hope that through episodes like this and through lots of other activities that are happening in the industry and in work as a whole, that people are feeling that, you know, they can talk more around their mental health and how that workload is impacting them, but impacting them in their life as a whole. And as we've both described, you know, I was given that analogy about plates at the moment, but at any given time, what's on that plate can change and some things are in our control and some things are out of our control. So almost setting those boundaries or at least sharing that with our employers. I was just thinking as I was thinking about my own analogy that I just created there around the plate, that if you don't share that your plate's almost full, it's a bit like you're walking around the buffet and people are going, you must try this. Exactly. And they start putting things on it because they think you're fine. You know, they, they see that you're a good eater. So they start putting exactly. more on Whereas you go, actually, I'm trying to watch what I eat at the moment. And they go, oh, okay, never mind. You might be somebody who would have gone mad at that buffet six months ago or two years ago. Yeah. And they would know that that was what good looked like for you. But if something's changed, you know, they're not going to know that unless there's some sort of signposting. So I like the going mad at the buffet analogy. I think that's a very good way of 
of putting it. And and you're so right. I think in the marketing industry, I see a massive improvement in the last five years or so in terms of, you know, openness around mental health discussions and, and things like that. And, you know, things like brilliant initiatives like mental health first aiders and people being in place, which I think are awesome. But yeah. I know, you know, speaking as somebody fully openly that's, you know, I'm nowhere near the done package on, you know, always feeling comfortable about talking, you know, about your own challenges or whatever. But, you know, even if you're not in a workplace that's that progressive and looking at things from that way, you can still maybe frame it even in workload. I think that's a a helpful thing for people where you can go, right, okay, I am trying to do all these six things. Um, My boss and everybody wants me to do these six things, but I can't do it. It's not possible. This is taking a real toll on me. And even if you don't feel comfortable with it, you know, frame it just back and saying, here's the time I'm spending on these guys. Here's the areas that I need to focus. Can we have a chat about prioritization? And if that doesn't work, then yes, you need to have the follow-up, you know, chat. But I think there's roots and tools and techniques into it that can be helpful as well if you're not lucky enough to have the support of an organization that thinks about these things in a really holistic way, which, as you say, I hope we're getting further down that journey, but that won't be true for everybody sat here listening to this today. It sounds like that you discovered some new tools to help you in your recovery from burnout. Is there anything else that you found really helpful that you'd like to share with the listeners that either are in burnout or on the edge at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, I think, and this is fairly well documented, that anybody who's hit burnout, it isn't a long weekend recovery. You know, I I slept for that weekend, but it was probably six to nine months until I would say I was fully back functioning on what I would call some level of normal. I wasn't off work for all that time, but, you know, I certainly wasn't at my best for that period. And I think in the really close in period, it did become absolutely about prioritisation. Coming back to that plate analogy of going, you know, I didn't want to be off work. And if I wanted to make being at work okay, because actually with a relationship breakdown and things, work was really helping me. Actually, Mm. it was a really good, safe space for me to be in that instance, that won't be true for everyone. For some people, work will be the source of the issue that they need to be away from. But for me in that moment, actually work was helping. It was just my relationship and what I was putting into the work that was unhealthy. And so I kind of had to look at the next few months and go, what absolutely are the things that I am going to prioritise? And, you know, for me, it was, I want to be able to turn up to work I've got a horse. She's one of my big steam vents, you know, places that I I said, I still want to be able to ride. But there was a whole bunch of other stuff that I stopped doing, some other hobbies, some other things. And some people I know would think that that sounds unhealthy, that I stopped doing, you know, things which sound very healthy and active and all that sort of stuff. But actually, it was just about energy management, about going, if I'm going to get out of this, I can handle maybe a couple of things well right now. And that's it. Because, you know, there were other life challenges going on and I just need to really prioritise what matters to me. And I think in that, you know, really preceding months, just really focusing on that was important. And then I think, you know, the sort of the lifelong learning that's come from it ever since is really understanding what gives you energy. And again, that not always being the obvious. So people would still say to me now, oh, you never like you never just sit down and sit still. And I'm like, no, I don't that often. Do you know what? Because that's not actually that energizing to me. And I know a lot of people when they're tired say, oh, you just need to rest or you just need to let and go. Yeah, but rest can mean different things to different people. Yeah. I think understanding yourself really well is a great thing. And for me, you know, and I do this probably still every year, write down a list of what do I take energy from? And what sucks energy from me? You know, the whole energy drains, radiators. The radiators and drainers. 
Exactly. But but not necessarily thinking about it as people, just thinking about it as tasks. So, you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert. So actually going to a networking event or listening to a live talk or something, even though it might be at the end of a working day. And I think, oh, God, crikey, that's going to make like a 14-hour day. But, but yeah, is that going to give me energy? And I go, yeah, I'm going to come away from that inspired and babbling away to someone and being excited about things. And that will top up my energy stores. Whereas actually just having gone and, you know, sat and put the TV on for an hour probably wouldn't have done that for me. Whereas there's absolutely other people and I know them, lots of good colleagues, friends who are like, no way. That would be a disaster. I will completely drain my energy. I need to go and sit in the quiet and read a book for the evening and stuff. There's no right or wrong in it. You know, it's just understanding what gives you energy and how you can manage that better. And, you know, one of the big phrases that's common in my team just now and my teams in the past is, you know, learn to manage your energy, not your time, is a big thing because actually both workplace tasks and life tasks, we all have things we prefer, we all have things we don't, but how are you going to learn to manage that and really understand what it is that kind of feeds your soul is really important, I think. And I think that's one of the big things that I learned and got a lot better at and I think can help people just doing that it's just self-reflection I think and understanding yourself and knowing yourself really well thinking about simple list one side of a page what gives me energy one side of a page what doesn't and how can I help manage that balance a little bit better and that is not dissimilar to an exercise that I do against my values so I write all my values down yes and at any point I put all of the things that I'm doing that are playing to my values and all of the things I'm doing that are not playing to my values. And that's a bit like your radiator drainer type exercise, what's giving you energy, what's not giving you energy, because it's the things that I do that are playing to my values that fill my soul up. And there are some things that we have to do in life that don't, but it's making sure that in that credit debit, the cup is fuller. Exactly. And I think just it's easy to tip. If you don't make that conscious, it's easy to tip in to you know letting things get on top of you and then you sit and you do something like that and you go oh that's why (laughs) yeah that's why but to your point it is about having the level of personal understanding and awareness so the things that you've just mentioned there around that give you energy so you know being out and riding with your horse or getting that inspiration from a talk or going to a networking event you know they're things that are right for you and that comes from taking the time to reflect on what has given you energy as you say and making that list and proactively reflecting and proactively making the choices to put those things in your diary and make those things a priority and I think not enough of us have enough of a level of personal understanding that we know the parts of us and our personality not that we necessarily have to change so like for yourself as you were talking earlier I was thinking I'm pretty sure if I was a guessing woman that Kirsten's probably got a b-strong driver and for me you know one of my drivers is people pleaser now are we going to change those overnight no do we want to change them debatable because they're part of who we are but it is being mindful that it's part of our makeup and therefore I am less likely to set boundaries very well. I am less likely to say no to something. I am going to take feedback a lot more personally than somebody else who isn't a people pleaser. And therefore, I need to make sure that I have enough time to reflect or to fill that cut back up after those things that may be triggering for me as a people pleaser, which may be different for you, whether you do have the Be Strong driver or not, being mindful of what drives you. I think it's a fairly safe guess, yes. (laughs) And I think it's just, you know, as you say, once that becomes, you know, a practice, it's a muscle that you can flex. 
And, you know, what I'm about to say is probably quite controversial to some people, but I'll say it anyway, which is, you know, in our in our period in the last couple of months up to launch. So, you know, we had our first listing confirmed with Waitrose. We knew that was when we were going to be launching this brand. And it was, you know, we're a really small team all guns blazing and I knew that not only did we have to deliver everything that we had to deliver but I knew you know it's my job to help be strong support and lead the team and make sure that they're okay through this journey and you know there's certain sacrifices that I was making and I knew in the couple of months in the run-up to that I was like I need to not be committing to stuff at weekends I need to not be doing things I need to be able to honour my own kind of peaks and troughs of energy and I need to for the next couple of months prioritise work and, you know, I know that a lot of people always say, oh, work shouldn't be the, the priority of things. But, you know, I absolutely love my job. I'm very lucky to do something that I love and to work with people who I think are brilliant. And does that mean that it's the absolute priority above, you know, using weekends to make sure that you've got enough energy to go back to work there forever? No, absolutely not. But for a couple of months to make sure that I'm going to get through this, be as good as I can be and be the leader and you know the branded thinker that I want to be and to do something that I'm proud of that might be the cost of that for six weeks you know and making that really conscious because I know that if I don't I'll just commit to everything and actually what we'll end up doing is is a bad job and I knew that if I was to push myself anything close to that burnout point that can't happen right now Mm. because the team need me the brand needs me I need to be at my best going out to people so what are the parameters of control that I'm going to put around that and then also I have then since, you know, had weekends where I'm like, right, do you know what? I am downing tools at work now. I'm going finishing early. I'm going to the pub with mates. Or I'm going out for a walk or I'm going to go and do this. And I'm, I'm now dialing the notch up on other things to make sure that you've got that balance. And I know it can be controversial to people who say, oh, you need to prioritise work at this point. But if it's something that energises you, that you want to deliver well, and that's part of your persona, then I think you just need to look at it in the whole balance you know of the thing if you've got something in your family life that you know really want if you've got a child that you need to support through you know a key period or you've got a life goal my other half's currently training for an ultra marathon in a few weeks time and you know I look at how structured and rigid he's been around that and made some other you know sacrifices and things it's it's bringing that man mentality into everything that you do of going you, you can't do it all all the time the fact that you can is an absolute myth and I think it's a dangerous one you can't do it all the time. And as I always say, you, know, you can do anything, but not everything. It is about prioritization. Yes. And, you know, I don't think it's controversial if you've got to focus on something for a period of time because you want to do it the way in which you want to do it and support the others in your care. I think what's important is, as you say, you do then go and get those credits back. So whether that is those walks, that visits to the pub, those things that energise you, that restore and allow you to actually celebrate the success of that launch so that you're telling your brain that that period of time that you focused on that and what you delivered, let's celebrate that success because actually that energy that I put in is worth a celebration and I want you, brain, to realise that it was positive. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, I can see the achievements and enjoy those those things. And now I can, as you say, tip some credits in from elsewhere and the other parts of my life, which are equally as important in the long run, if not more so in some areas. But, you know, that for that six weeks where, you know, items two and three on the agenda, it's just understanding and, and looking at that whole piece in, in the round, I think. But you're so right, it all comes back to self-awareness really and and knowing and I think again for marketeers in particular where creativity or problem solving is a big part of what we do understanding what fires those neurons best 
is important as well because you know we all have to do it every day whether it's quick in the moment solving a problem or whether it's a really big piece of creative or strategic thinking and you know I've learned throughout my 20 odd however many years it is in marketing that I am a creative soul and that actually even though I might spend my day job in board meetings or having quite you know quite dry discussions or you know people leading of which I love but actually how do I spark my creative thinking what feeds that the team were all laughing at me a couple of weeks ago because we had to do a photo shoot in a day we needed to create some content for some stuff and I was running around with my you know iPhone filming everything and doing stuff and they were like Kirsten you know you probably shouldn't really be doing that but they knew to ask me to do it because they know that I love photography and they know mm-hmm. that I love finding a shot and they know and could I should have could there have been somebody else doing that but on that day actually what I did was allowed myself to go today I'm not going to be the director and I'm not going to be the person in charge I'm going to be the person that gets really excited about finding the perfect angle on a shot and actually what I realized from that day I was better for the following week at solving people's problems when they came to me or answering a question in the moment because my kind of creative neurons were you know firing that much better from just having done a task that suits my brain you know and so I think it's all about that about finding ways to weave in comes back to that phrase how do you manage your energy not your time which I think is a great piece of advice. In fact, I've written it down with a box around it, Kirsten. So So thank you so much for sharing so openly your own personal experience of burnout and how you have recovered and also what you've learned since with the tools and what you put in place in your life. As always with the podcast, we always finish with the following question. What one piece of advice would you give to marketeers of tomorrow? So I know we were chatting about this briefly before. My piece of advice, and it's a slightly abstract one, is always focus on the small stuff and don't worry about the big bits quite so much. And what I mean by that is our industry tends to focus on the hero moments, the product launches, the new shiny campaign, the, you know, listing in another retailer or doing something new in a different channel or the shiny bit of packaging on the shelf and having been blessed to you know through industry or marketing academy or any of the other good communities that I'm involved in meet some of the best marketeers that I believe are out there actually the big moments are important but what makes them really truly brilliant at what they do is the focus on the tiny small moments the day-to-day and doing things consistently So actually just always having in the back of your head, what sort of marketer do I want to be? What sort of leader do I want to be? And am I consistently reacting in a way that's in line with those two aspirations? So when someone comes and asks me a question, how do I respond? When I'm sitting on a day where I'm maybe having a little bit of can't-be-bothered-itis, is that something that's in line with that value? And actually, in all those little small moments whereby nobody's going to push you and nobody's going to make you do something actually how do you turn up in all those moments and you know only you can square that off with yourself that would be I think for the future as our industry morphs more and more and people work multiple roles and remotely and all that great stuff actually how can you focus on the small stuff and doing that with brilliance and the same amount of energy that you might worry about the big stuff because that's what will make you a really brilliant marketeer I think that would be my view. That's a wonderful piece of advice. Focus on the small moments. And Kirsten, thank you so much for your time today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores. And to find out more about how Labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency, go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk. Thank you.